Hey, I am your host, Noah. And I'm your host, Zach. And this is the Fast Informative 15 podcast. This uh, podcast is designed to bring you long-form conversations into bite-sized pieces. If you don't have time to listen to a three-hour podcast, that's not a problem. That's where we come in. We actually break down influential and current event podcasts into a 15-minute summary of the most important information that they talked about. Our goal is to spread key information fast, efficiently, and boost up the speakers as well. We hope you enjoy. So this entire podcast that we're covering is a conversation between Yanni Park and Joe Rogan. And I really want to put the spotlight on her because it puts the listeners in her shoes. It's the story of her journey to freedom. She wasn't able to escape North Korea until age 13, back in 2007. From North Korea, she escaped to China and was sold into sex slavery. Eventually, she was given freedom from her last Chinese owner and fled to Mongolia. From Mongolia, she got transported to South Korea and finally got her first taste of real freedom. In South Korea, she became obsessed with education and used that knowledge eventually to come over to America. Now she's a published author, human rights activist, and speaker. But ironically, she says she's still fighting for her freedom of speech here, even in the States. China and North Korea accuse her of being the propaganda puppet of the West, that she is CIA trained. And all of this is an act to falsify and demonize their country. And she has even become a target in America because of her views on censorship and free speech. All right. Yeah. So I said we get a quick kickoff. So what were your thoughts just kind of on the podcast? And I'll share mine. Yeah. So I listened to this back in August and I was blown away about the fact that she escaped and everything in 2007. Mm-hmm. Like I was in school yeah. right, doing my thing and I couldn't believe I thought the stuff that this was going on years and years ago. This has been going on for 80 years. And it really shocked me that nobody knew about it. Like none of my friends, none of my family members never heard about it in college or school. No one's talking about it. Yeah. And she's talking from firsthand experience. You can hear in her voice. And not only that, like it's still going on today. Yeah. Like 2022. She, she has contacts there. She's still worked. She's a target. Like she's spoken at the UN um, about what's going on right now. Yeah, this one was, uh, this one really hit home with me. Um, uh, I remember talking to you about this a while ago and you told me to, to watch it, but you literally got depressed. You got depressed because like, you were like, what can I do for these people? Because yeah. it was so, it was bad. So bad that you're like, I want to be able to do something. One of the things that I, I really think is interesting is like, you know, she's still fighting here, but it's her parallels of North Korea and their censorship and how if we keep on going down that track and like censoring stuff here that it could it's a slippery slope to a really dangerous thing. So yeah. and I do feel like this podcast is something we can do is obviously I was mad that nobody knew about this, but it's like, now I can get this front more people 15 minutes. Yeah. And of course I encourage you to listen to the whole thing, but yeah. To start off, there is no legitimate education in North Korea. For example, there's no map of the world known to the people. Year one is Kim Jong-un's birthday. Who's a dictator in charge. In a nutshell, as a group of people, North Koreans don't know where they are geographically, what year it is, or how long they've been around compared to the rest of the world. Yeah. The UN actually did a full investigation in 2014, and the conclusion was that the only thing they could come up with that is similar to what is going on in North Korea currently in history is the Holocaust. North Korea's entire GDP grows from exporting weapons, crystal meth, opium, it's human trafficking, also uh, through selling organs. Yeah, and sex trap. Yeah. Now, here's how Yumi Park explains the structure and rules in North Korea. Inside of it, 
Now in North Korea, Americans are shown in posters as green eyed, huge nosed monsters. And they're told that Americans are North Korean sworn enemies. Right. In North Korea, there is a rule that where if someone commits a crime, their entire generation is punished endlessly. For example, you could be permanently put in a prison, labor, or concentration camp because your grandfather committed a sin. Usually three generations are punished, but if you challenge any leadership, it could be up to eight generations of punishment. Yeah, yeah. There's only one channel that the government controls, and of, of course there is no internet, and there's no banks in North Korea. Uh, there, she said, you and me said there was in the past. When they use it, they would just take the money and they didn't give it back to you. Now, government assigns all the marriages. Now, the regime actively prevents outside resources or help from other nations purposely, keeping their population starving. When people are starving, they aren't capable of thinking of the future. Their future is when's the next meal. Yep. Travel in North Korea is extremely difficult. Now, Yeon Mi said in 2007, there was only one train, and there's still actually only one train today. And uh, that train only goes to one destination. She said that back then, some, sometimes it would take up to a month to actually get anywhere. Also, North Korea has scheduled electricity cutoffs. It's at around, I believe, 6 or 7 p.m. their time, and then the entire nation gets cut off. What's really interesting is when you see those light maps of like the entire world, you can actually see that the darkest spot on the globe is North Korea. In hospitals in North Korea, you are more likely to die there because of the lack of sanitation. Uh, for instance, nurses use one needle for just about everybody. They also don't have penicillin, so infection rate is... Very, very high. Yeah. So kind of a segue here into China, because China plays a big role in North Korea. Um, and it's actually owned basically by China. They, they use it for total leverage. They use the nation of North Korea for total leverage. They use all of North Koreans' minds, resources, and even their people. China has the ability to act as North Korea. So technically, China wouldn't be held responsible for any of the decisions that it makes. Now, without any Chinese regime support, Kim Jong-un couldn't even last a week. For example, they send North Korea all their oil, which they rely on for missiles, factories, and the very rare cars that are actually there. Right. China is currently breaking international law uh, when they capture North Koreans, and then they give them back to North Korea. Um, this is an international Geneva Convention. They're breaking the International Geneva Convention. Um, they're considered refugees, the North Koreans. And so when they give them back to North Korea, Yuan uh, even said that she, there was times where they would put a wire through these captors and collarbones to connect all of them at once while Chinese guards like sit by and watch it. There's 300,000 North Korean women who are sex slaves right now currently in China. Yeah, it's crazy. The Chinese Communist Party has free market economic freedom, but not political freedom. So unless you fight for your freedom, you really don't get it. Yuan Mi said that in China, they can read your social media and even your texts, and then people will give you a social score based on that and other things, and then rate you in the society. Um, the censorship and, and social credit system in China makes it so even if you if you don't have high social credit, you can't even get a bus ticket, like even if you had the money to buy it, because your social credit is low. And their social credit is used to measure your trustworthiness. So yeah, it's based on trustworthiness. And if yours is low, you can't buy a ticket for the travel. Yeah. Even if you have the cash to do it, like yeah. the money to do it. Yeah. Right. Without changing the CCP, North Korea will never change. Um, the vocabulary in North Korea is really uh, structured to have total control over their people. So, for instance, there is no word for stress. 
So therefore, there cannot be an expression of stress in the, quote, perfect country. They do focus on the collective mindset. So there's no word for love. There's no word for liberty. There's no word for rape. There's no word for friends. There's not even a word for I. This is replaced by the word we. So you're not individual. For example, you cannot say the phrasing in their language would not be, I like grasshoppers. It would be, we like grasshoppers. We like things to eat instead right. of, I like this. Yeah, even if she was just saying it herself. It's important to understand that the power of vocabulary and language is, is what really controls thought. And it's also the closest thing associated with culture. So this is a huge part of the North Korean problem. And it's a big reason they're so suppressed. Their language literally does not allow them to think independently because there aren't words for them to have. She said, so Yanmi said that George Orwell's Animal Farm in the book 1984 changed her, her mindset. She had been lied to her whole life by her government and really by everyone. And then the people of South Korea told her that everything you've ever learned has been a lie. And she thought to herself, well, how can I trust what you're saying isn't a lie? And it wasn't until reading those books that she understood what North Korea really was, because she could actually see the parallels of the North Korean government in those books. And she said, and I quote, true oppression is not even knowing you're oppressed. Being so shut off from the world and your every thought run by an institution is true oppression. Right. So here's some, some pretty disturbing sentimental stories for Yan Yi. We kept it down to two, um, but, you know, strap in. These are, these are pretty intense. So Yan Mi describes a very disturbing story where inside the hospitals, there were people constantly dying to the point where corpses would actually begin to pile up. It, it get to the point where the rats began eating the corpses and they would start with the eyeballs because it was like the squishiest and easy, easiest part to eat. Yan Mi says that you would walk in the hospital and see dead bodies with their eyes hollowed out like some type of nightmare horror story. But it gets worse. There were starving children that would begin eating the rats and they would kind of chase them as a game. But of course, those rats would you know, get the children sick and other rats would then begin eating children who passed away from sickness or starvation. So she also talks about how 100% of the population is desensitized to bodies. For example, growing up as a child, she talks about a story of walking past a young, a young boy whose organs, once you're starving, your organs kind of like fall out of your body. And while he's holding his organs, He's begging for food, and she talks about how she felt nothing, mm. and it still haunts her to this day. Um, there's bodies on street corners, there's bodies in the rivers, all ages, all sizes, and most of them are just left there. Yeah, so pretty disturbing stuff. Um, to, to segue that, we want to talk about her experience here in America. You know, basically, the second half of the podcast was about this. She actually enrolled in Columbia University in New York in 2016. And she said that she was totally blindsided by the social fabric of the school system. You know, she said it was always about how you feel, not about the actual facts. In her humanity class in Columbia, they had mentioned that if a man holds a door for you, that that's just them showing off the toxic masculinity and holding it over for you. Yeah, like some type of social dominance. And, and to her, she was like completely confused. She was like, I think it's nice. Yeah, she's like, she actually had a big struggle, of course, trusting any men because men had done most of the terrible things to her, but she got, you know, worked through it and basically said that, no, that could just be someone being nice. Um, she mentioned that the professors would send out emails at Columbia University in advance to the students. And basically if their text that they were discussing was over things like rape or racism, or anything of that, if, if, it, if it triggers you, they mentioned that you don't have to actually do the reading. 
And even more than that, if in the middle of the class you're triggered, it's okay to leave without telling them why. So in her Western music philosophy class in Columbia, uh, said Beethoven and Mozart were bigots and shouldn't be listened to. And Jane Austen was living in a time of white supremacy, so her work shouldn't be read. She said at Columbia University, the thing she heard over and over and over again for four years was that the only way to fix America was to tear down the foundation of the country, that the Constitution itself was bigotry written by white supremacists. Yikes. She said, uh, she made a video about the Second Amendment and put up on YouTube. She mentioned that if every Hong Kong resident had a gun, they wouldn't have been taken over by the Chinese government. 75% of Hong Kong residents went into the streets demanding they wanted freedom and to be independent from China. And they were shut down by the CCP, by the Chinese Communist Party, because they had no self-defense. She even made the case that if 20% of the population of North Koreans had guns, that they could defend themselves against the North Korean regime. She also said Trump was the first, she was in favor of Trump because he was the first president to ever call out China in support for North Korea. But then she also said Trump sitting down with Kim Jong-un was a huge mistake. Yan Mi, uh, a quote from Yan Mi is said, not talking about the darkness allows the darkness to continue. You know, talking about our full nature as humans lets you be aware of it so you can prepare for it. Deplatforming, banning hate speech, doxing people, this doesn't get rid of the problem, it just masks it. All right, and now for the chew. Okay, so guys, we had two chews on this one. So we're gonna give you two things to chew on because they're just so important. One kind of relating to America and its social media. Um, and then the other one, just straight up what China and North Korea is doing. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So you ready for the chew? Yeah, you go first. <laughs> all right, so YouTube demonetized all of Yan Mi's videos with her talking about women getting sold in China. They claim that it somehow doesn't meet the YouTube guidelines, but they let North Korea's regime propaganda channel stay up. YouTube is giving a platform to a dictatorship, but not a platform for the actual people fighting for justice from the very thing that put them there. North Korea hackers were tracking Yan Mi and still are to this day. She says that she's on, top, on the top priority hit list for North Korea. And before her book was published by, public, by Penguin Publishing, they received death threats and bomb threats that if they, they were to go through with it, they would kill them. North Korea even reached out to the publisher directly to try and sit down with them. But because she didn't comply and eventually did publish her book, North Koreans put three generations of her family to death camps. They put it on the propaganda channel on YouTube, and then her family members disappeared. They were presumed dead or eventually led to death from going to camps. They even killed her neighbors. Entire generations on her father and mother's side. And this was allowed on the propaganda channel on YouTube. Jeez. Whoa. Right now, uh, one of the biggest growing industries in China is hospitals being built specifically for organ transplants. Mm. Now, here in America, if you need an organ transplant, you're going to end up on average waiting about three to five years. Right now, China. If you need an organ, you can get it about two to three hours. How is that even possible? Well, most of these organs are from North Koreans that escaped and got caught and their own Chinese prisoners. This trade is over a billion dollar year industry for the Chinese. Yeah. And I want to mention that we have the original link to the podcast in the description. Just to if you can. And also all the links to our social media. So don't forget sharing is caring. Stick around a little longer if you want to hear some boobies. All right, Eli. So what's your favorite podcast? Fast, informative, fitting. Yeah.